Hi, you're listening to Building Business Brands. I'm Tony Gibbs. And I'm Matt Banwell. And today we're asking ourselves, what's a Franken brand? What's a Franken brand? I don't know. <laughs> what is a Franken brand? <laughs> well, it's a good question if we don't know. This is an interesting one, isn't it? Now, here's the backstory. I was recently flipping through one of my favourite branding books, which is called The Brand Gap, and it's by someone I've mentioned before on the podcast, Marty Numia. Now, I've got the expanded edition, which includes a brand glossary in the back. And in this glossary, there's a really interesting word that sprang out at me, not literally, the Franken brand. (laughs) Now, here's the book's definition. A poorly aligned brand, often resulting from a merger or acquisition, a dysfunctional brand. Now, this definition seems pretty geared towards big businesses to me. Yeah, mergers and acquisitions, yeah. Yeah, but I think we can easily apply the word to smaller companies too. Now, what do you reckon to it, Matt? Yeah, the the idea of uh, a Franken brand evoking Frankenstein's monster, of course, kind of different things cobbled together. So maybe different aspects that, that clash or even contradict. And I guess if one of the big things about branding is consistency, from your visual imagery to your tone of voice, then then that, that can be bad. And, and uh, as the word alludes to, monstrous. I mean, branding has to be consistent at its best, whether at a big business level with mergers and acquisitions and, and multinational divisions all over the world or just a, a small local business. It has to be consistent end-to-end. Otherwise, it's not branding. It's just a bunch of stuff which gets out there and doesn't converge to convey any meaning and makes things hard to relate to. So I guess rather than helping your business, a a Franken brand would hinder it. And as you say, I I guess it would be something that comes together accidentally through a hodgepodge of different influences, through a a kind of lack of a formal design process, just doing things ad hoc, when there's no leadership or management or or passion or or enthusiasm, when when no one is there saying, right, I I really want to get get this this looking great. I really want this to be a a badge that I'm proud of wearing. Or it it could come through a lack of discipline. So even at the start, you could say, yeah, we're going to get in the top guys and and come up with this brilliant strategy and this brilliant branding process. But then if, if after a few kind of weeks or months, you just get bored of it and that discipline grows, then even a, a perfectly cultivated brand can can mutate in, into a Franken brand. Yeah. So you say accidentally it had usually come about, but Frankenstein's monster was kind of the opposite, wasn't it? It was a deliberate thing. He invented the thing. So there's a bit of a slight difference there in that with these Franken brands, they're just kind of happening <laughs> spontaneously almost. Maybe the Franken brand comes as a, as a side effect of doing something else that, that hasn't been thought about or given that kind of creative impetus. But I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because branding can encompass so many things depending on the size of your business and what what you do it could be anything from your business card uh your website the packaging the, the way you answer the phone uh what's in your email signature and so on this all constitutes what your brand is and sometimes even if you're thinking about tone of voice or behavior you're relying on third parties so parcel delivery company for example you could you know, promise the world, but if if uh, if the parcel's late because of someone else's issues, then then that that reflects badly on you. Something you have no control over. 
Hey, yeah, it's difficult because sometimes you know you'll have all the time in the world and a big budget, and you'll get a glossy brochure put together and a commission a photographer and, and all that cool stuff and doing mood boards and, and focus groups. But sometimes you just need to put together a PowerPoint that afternoon quickly for a client meeting, and, and, and you might you might just have to take a photo sometimes on, on your phone. Or, you might not have the, the corporate font on your, your brother's PC that you have to borrow because your your laptop has your, your battery's died and you need to get something back. So you know inconsistencies, which I guess would be an aspect of a Franken brand. Inconsistencies will creep in, but if you can get the simple things right, then that will help sustain your ethos and identity, and that's the important thing. So even if you do have to cobble together a, a quick document and you you can't send that to your designer and, and you need to do it yourself. At least use the right font, just simple things like that. If you can take care of those as best you can, then that helps sustain things and, and prevents things turning into a monster. Yeah, so you think sometimes a Franken-Brand might be um, a disconnect born out of a rush job, for example? Well, it, it's just the nature of things. If you get given a bundle of, of materials from a, a big brand or a small business, they will invariably be different because they're done for different reasons at different times, often instigated by different people. So that you know, some will be a different size, different paper stock, different one might be colour, one might be black and white. So that they will invariably be different because that's just real life. That's just the real world. But if the treatment of the logo, the positioning of the logo, the, the font, the treatment of the fonts is broadly the same, then that helps bind everything together and gives that cohesion, which informs and elevates and adds value to the brand. Yeah, sounds about right in my book. So, yeah, personally, I love this word. It's amazing. I think Martin might have made it up for the book, but it speaks volumes. So here's what springs to mind for me. Now, I imagine a business that in one way or the other has rushed the design process. Now, maybe they've skipped the strategy and not defined who they are or why they matter. Or maybe they've tried to design everything themselves in Canva, which only goes so far. Canva. <laughs> your worst enemy <laughs> well yes yeah, it's, it's the the enemy of professional graphic designers everywhere but uh, you know strategy is probably the, the more scary word and uh it's not something that you necessarily kind of sit down and, and do deliberately every day is it today we're going to do some strategy uh let, let's talk about strategy it's not something day to day you, you sit down and define because you're you're too busy doing you're too busy firefighting you're you're too busy solving problems, making decisions. I, I know you're supposed to, even on a relatively small project, right at the outset, you should ask the question, why? Uh, why are we doing this? What's the benefit? How much money will it make? But, you know, sometimes budget, circumstances, <laughs> your kid being ill, having to pick something up from the post office, you know, things get in the way and, and strategy kind of gets lost. But, I mean, it'll, it'll st still be there, uh, kind of underpinning the overall work. So, I guess maybe another word to think of rather than strategy, which is perhaps a bit abstract and, and something you can put to one side. Another another word to think of it is professionalism and just apply professionalism to everything you do. You will ensure that to some extent that informs and shapes your brand's strategy. Mm, strategy is a difficult word to define as well as the Franken brand because a lot of people don't fully understand it. They confuse it with tactics a lot of people have got their own definitions of it, just like branding and marketing. So it can be a bit of a hornet's nest, honestly. 
I agree that not everyone can, you know, has the budget for a strategy, for example, and it can be great, but it could also be a luxury. So maybe sometimes it's a want rather than a need. But I think to fight in its corner for a second, I think strategy is sometimes the differentiator between a great brand and a similar brand. And that can cause problems when you're like six months down the line and the competitors are doing exactly the same stuff as you and you don't quite know how to break away from that. A good strategy would set you apart from all those other people and do lots more besides, but we're not talking about strategy today. So You say we're not talking about it, but... Well, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Accidentally. Yeah, but a similar is process isn't it? And, and I, I used to scoff at, at the notion of a, of a process because I was just too busy doing stuff. But you have to have a, a process. You have to have a, a strategy to know what direction you're heading in. And, and, and if that process, if that strategy aren't defined, then you can never really take stock or evaluate what it is you're doing relative to, to where you started from. It, it's all just going to be improvised and instinctive. And, and great, that, that can work and, and it can open up opportunities and directions to go down that, that you never envisaged. But you always need to kind of keep an eye on things financially and strategically to make sure that your direction is always forward and not sideways or, or even backwards. So if we were to expand the title of this podcast alliteratively, it's about making things better, isn't it? It's about building better business brands. That's what strategy does. I think that might be one B too many. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said a hornet's nest, so you've got four Bs there. Yes, yeah. Let's keep it to three for now. Um, don't want to confuse people too much. So, great. Let's uh, steer it back onto the Franken brand a little bit. Yes. So, I think typically... Within a Franken brand, if such a thing does exist, then there's a disconnect somewhere, which the audience will be getting mixed messages from. Now, it might potentially cause confusion and frustrate the audience, which is never a good thing. I can't see any real advantages to having one, although I imagine, like yourself, it might be born or created as the side effect of a small budget. I think part of it comes through ambivalence and... You talk about how a, a Frankenbrand might confuse or frustrate the audience or the consumer. Now, that might not be manifest by you know, shoppers breaking out placards and, and staging protests outside the front of Sainsbury's. But if you're presented with a shelf of different products, or, or even if you're shopping online and wondering where the impetus for that decision comes from, if that brand is uh, ambivalent or ambiguous, then that's going to lose out, even subconsciously, to a brand that is strong. Uh, and confident and unambiguous. Whether confused messages emerge or are projected will depend on the the company, the brand's marketing approach, but it's a symbiotic relationship. What you do, how your brand behaves and looks, uh, is a manifestation of, of your reputation, and your reputation feeds into your brand. More than anything, it has to be true. You have to stop your brand becoming a Franken brand by doing what you say you're going to do. So a lot of brands have as part of their kind of uh, marketing a strap line or a mission statement. So when we did the branding course together uh, at FutureLearn, we looked at Tesco and their kind of corporate branding. You can you can find it actually, you can Google it online in-house, see this kind of branding wheel they have. At the heart of that for their 
corporate culture is to treat people how we like to be treated, which is is great. You know, that that's a wonderful, lovely phrase. Treat people how we like to be treated. So if a customer goes into Tesco and has a legitimate complaint, then then do that. Treat them how you'd like to be treated. Don't evade or fob them off. Be sympathetic. Be diplomatic. Empathize. Uh, if someone is lucky enough to get a job interview at Tesco, especially at this crazy time, you know they they might spend ages preparing, doing research. They might buy a new suit. They have to travel. They might arrange childcare, uh, and then after the interview, which, which you know, might have gone badly, uh, if they don't hear back from Tesco, well, that that's contrary to the brand value of treat people how we like to be treated. And, and that eats away uh, all the good work being done by you, your very expensive ad agency. So, you know, over and above marketing, over and above creative design and, and branding strategy, ultimately, the business, the brand has to actually not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Otherwise, even a mainstream kind of angel brand can turn into this this monster you know slowly bit by bit anecdote by anecdote but fatally customer by customer i always thought that saying treat people i would like to be treated was a an english or uk saying i didn't realize tesco had pinched it and tried to claim ownership over it (laughs) (laughs) i've seen it elsewhere but i think it's somewhat anachronistic uh instead of treat people how we like to be treated it should be uh, treat people how they like to be treated because because everyone's different and if you say you know, treat people how we like to be treated that kind of maybe prompts a kind of standard response which, which is devoid of empathy so treat people how they like to be treated acknowledges that that, that everybody's different and, and has different sensitivities some people are introvert others are extrovert some confident some some shy so yeah I, i'm not entirely convinced but but if that is your ethos even if your ethos is you know we will stack shelves hopping on one leg you've then got to do that haven't you (laughs) (laughs) otherwise uh what's the point pretty impractical way of stacking shelves (laughs) yeah but if if that's if that's what your 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 corporate ethos is and it's on posters in in all your stores then you know you've got you've got to blooming do it or you change your ethos yeah fair enough now i think about it i think it might be treat people out you'd like to be treated so it's making you aware of what you'd like to see people do to you and then you return the favor it should be yeah it should be treat people how you like to be treated anyway we're, we're spending a lot of time on sayings here so let's uh shoot back onto frankenbrand's so yeah you say frankenbrand's probably the weaker of the two brands so you've got a frankenbrand and a normal brand or a great brand or whatever we want to call it does a frankenbrand just happen do you think it can happen through inactivity. It can happen by dint of not making anything else happen. I guess brands can decay. I mean, there's everything has entropy, doesn't it? So if you're not attending to your brand, you're not refreshing it, applying it, if you're not managing it, then uh, it can go off track if you don't have that strategy or, or that process. A franken brand can can happen accidentally, but it, a lot of it is is just comes down to care and attention. And if you make branding as important a part of your business as the everyday, checking stock, contacting suppliers, answering the phone, digging a hole, whatever it is you do, then you will stop that decay and stop that happening and and keep your brand tip top and and evolving and and going in the right direction all the time. Mm. 
So it's not necessarily a deliberate decision to create a Franken brand. It's just something that occurs naturally over time. Yeah, I mean, we can we can see examples of of where they might emerge despite best intentions, which is probably what what happened in in the book. So an example I've seen this week is a collaboration between Levi's and Lego, where you've got these uh, denim jackets and, and jeans now, which have kind of got these panels on that you can attach Lego bricks to, which, which sounds rather wonderful, but but in practice, <laughs> certainly uh, made me, when I saw the photo, grimace somewhat. So yeah, it's something to, to be conscious of when brands make mistakes and often you'll see small business owners with signs or graphics on on their cars now i'm I'm not going to criticize them for promoting themselves you know good on them go for it but uh you know if you're going to do that you're going to have your nice shiny logo presented and drawn up nicely stick it on your car maybe make sure you you wash your car once in a while you know because you're then turning a good brand into into something detrimental yeah i see some cars wash by with this advertising on the side and they've not quite planned it out very well because it's totally illegible for one reason or the other maybe the type is too thin maybe it's at a 90 degree angle or something that's facing the wrong way it's quite easy to get it wrong i guess yeah but at every level trucks haulage companies uh, big mainstream brands you know cut you up on the motorway or you know breaking this you see a van from a big brand breaking the speed limit and, and uh subconsciously <laughs> on one hand you're thinking that's a bit naughty on either anything well you're obviously dedicated to your customers trying to get there fast good on you <laughs> yeah i mean branding is so pervasive uh, e- even if the kind of transformation of, of a, an angel brand into a franken brand doesn't happen wholesale throughout the entire public consciousness it can happen on a on an individual level just one bad experience and because brands are so pervasive that that bad experience could be what you'd normally expect in, in customer service or the product not working or your expectation not being met, but it, it can be a van, a mail shop that you didn't want. It can be someone outside a store having a fag and, and, and blowing smoke in your face, you know, all, all little things. So it's very important that, that brands are nurtured and looked after, which again comes back to that professionalism. Otherwise, your brand isn't working, isn't adding value, both in terms of the brand for its own sake and in terms of what the brand says about the business as a whole, the people working within it, and the whole benefit that your product, service, or business is intended to offer. Mm. We always seem to go full circle these conversations, don't we? Right back to the start in some way. It's quite a nice little quirk. So just, yeah, going back to the Lego, I really like the idea of the Lego collaborations. I think they could probably do almost anything and make it work. Yeah, others this week have been with uh, Ikea and Adidas, and they teamed up with Nintendo a couple of months ago. Yeah, it's the kind of brand that you could just make a lot of things work because it is so malleable. There's so many things that fall under the Lego umbrella. I mean, it's literally little people and little vehicles and little things, and that could contain anything. Yeah, it could be little jeans, like little Levi jeans, or little spaceships, Star Wars spaceships, and... Oh yeah, well, I mean the, the Star Wars range reinvigorated Lego from its its last lull. Um, there's so many different brands now. I mean Lego's odd. I mean obviously <laughs> coming across as a bit of a fan. Lego's odd as it's still a private, family-owned business. You know, it's uh, very secretive in terms of its financials and, and structure and stuff. The, the biggest toy brand on the planet. Have you been one of those um, Lego-specific shops? I've been to the Lego House in uh, Billund. 
So, <laughs> is it a house made of Lego? <laughs> it looks like it. Have you not seen it? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's incredible. The architecture is designed to make it look like it's made of, of Lego bricks. Oh, okay. So it's, a, it's an illusion. Yeah. Yes, it's not literally made of oh, Lego That's disappointing. Bricks, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you fly into Bill and over it, so you, you can even see it top down. It's uh, Yeah, there's a, a wired documentary about it on, on YouTube. So thanks for listening to Building Lego Brand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Sorry, no, I, could, uh, I could do a whole other podcast on Lego. Too. Yeah, it's all good. I'll have to um, check that out for sure. So going back to Frank and Brand. I think that personally it might even be a necessity in the early days of a business when money is usually tight probably more something to be aware of than afraid of there'll certainly be things to prioritize first like making sales if you don't have money coming into your business i've heard it's more of a hobby than a business and look you know if we're saying that a franken brand is is a brand that's not quite right not quite working well that's that's nothing to be afraid of uh, and we're not going to say that uh, every brand we've been involved in or, or worked on or even our own brands are 100% perfect all the time. You don't have the luxury of being able to spend hundreds of thousands with a, a, a pentagram or a, a Wolf Ollins every time. I mean, I sympathize with both points of view. Yes, we should be aspiring to that. That's the whole point of this podcast. That's the whole point of our interest and enthusiasm and, and our, our professional backgrounds is aspiring to, to make brands great and to make them work but yeah it, it shouldn't stop you you know getting on with it i mean that's the whole point it's to, to help you get on with what you want to get on with better and yes you should have this strategy you you should make sure your brand isn't a franken brand and if you can do that at the start then that's great because that's the only time you start with a completely clean slate and of course you and i being into branding would advocate that if you are starting a new business or launching a new product or a new service that needs branding then of course spend time and unfortunately money on getting it right and it should be exciting it should be fun and if you are setting up your own business or launching a new product it it can be a very personal part that that you can really invest some of yourself into but again at some point you just have to get on with it if you're spending weeks and weeks tweaking an ampersand or changing a colon to a hyphen or (laughs) adjusting you know, one shade of green by a tiny percentage that is imperceptible uh, to anyone, but anyone who doesn't have the most expensive monitor or, or, or print setup, then I'm not sure that that's worthwhile. Just sometimes you need to get on with it. I mean, otherwise you you, you spend too long, you use momentum, you run out of money. So <laughs> sometimes, yeah, if you need to, to seize the moment, carpe diem, then, then just stick your name in Helvetica in, in black text on a white background <laughs> and, and rather than miss any opportunities rather than doing it badly or doing it wrong and ending up with this this franken brand that is is going to turn people away and is going to be a kind of time bomb ticking away that that you're going to have to deal with and address at some point in the future don't set out to create one deliberately or accidentally and if you do simple good things in a disciplined way with a clear idea of a destination if you want to call that a strategy fine do all that in a professional way, then you should avoid coming up with your own Franken brand. Some great points there, Matt. I agree that we don't want to paralyze anyone into inaction because it's kind of such a waste of time when you look at back like three months later in hindsight. Oh, yeah, I've just spent three months doing this website and nothing else. And that's part of my history. I did not my current website, but my previous website, 
typical designer. I did everything aesthetics first and functionality second. And after three months of just solid working on this website and doing enough all else, I had this website that was looking beautiful, but was functionally completely useless <laughs> and people couldn't work it out. And I had people asking me how to click on things and so on and so forth. So it was just the biggest waste of time, unfortunately, ever. So yeah, you want to be making things, but you don't want to be obsessing over them to the point that they never become a reality. And when they do, they're a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my my uh, my company online banking, which I won't name, but they, they recently updated their online platform for the first time since i've been with them which was in 2003 and the interface is just it's it's inconceivably worse it's just like there are things that you you click on that don't do anything the things that you do click don't do what you'd expect the login screen it loads and then after about five or so you start typing your login details and then after five or six seconds it refreshes for no apparent reason and and you know this is a big a big long-term process and and even that which is no doubt had thousands and thousands spent on even that has got it wrong so yeah and sometimes it's just better to like you say avoid that paralysis and do it but what's important is doing it right and it doesn't have to be a, a big thing it can be piece by piece and a little bit at a time and in that way, you are quite literally building a business brand. Yeah, and I think that's a safer way to do it, to break it into chunks. A bit like Lego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, very topical. Yeah, wonderful. So let's leave it there. That was a great sentence to finish it on. All right, everyone, that's everything then today. Thank you for listening. And please join us again on Building Business Brands. I'm Tony Gibbs. I'm Matt Banwell. And to our for now. Cheerio.